Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. As I said before, I think there's a sense of destiny on our church. I fully believe it. Um, you know, I, 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 I said something uh, crazy that caught myself when one of the staff reminded me of it just the other week when I was preaching and I've, I've been saying it to myself so I can get used to it. I am more sure that God is going to break out through a revival in us as a church that will touch the nations of the world. I'm more sure of that than I am that concrete was going to get laid in this facility. So, you know, let's, uh, let's keep going for what God has for us. There is a destiny for us. We are, we are so incredibly uniquely positioned here. You know, I, I want us to be a, a center of hope and of restoration and of healing and of life to the community of Brisbane and beyond. And I just feel like all of it's, you know, a, a season, a time where he's just going to do something wonderful. But, you know, whilst we might be a, a large and a growing church, you know what? We haven't arrived. We have not arrived. It's not time for us to rest on either our our past or even our present achievements of what God has done in and through this place, but to reach towards our full potential, to achieve the vision that God has given for us as a church. And to do that, we need to continually break new ground. I used to come every Friday when this place was being constructed. Every Friday on my day off, I would come and I would pray over this place and I'd just I just watched what was happening. The property team said, you're not allowed on site. If you have vision to change anything, it'll cost us money, do not go on site. They didn't know I became friends with the guy who oversaw the building. He'd see me standing there praying, come in and have a look. And we'd sneak around and have a look. I didn't make any changes on the way through, thank you very much. But you know, one of the things that excited me was the first day we broke ground here. When all of the, the, you know, we'd given of ourselves and we'd prayed over this place and we, we thought I mean, the, the first day one of the dozers came in and started to break ground, it was just so exciting. But I really truly do believe that what God is doing in us as a church spiritually is breaking some new ground that's going to make that like, like it's going to pale into insignificance. God is breaking something new within us. I look around and I, uh, the, the city of Brisbane and my own neighborhood, I, I read the papers, I watch the news, just like all of us do, and there's, there's hard, fallow ground out there in the hearts of people. And Holy Spirit is just longing to break some new ground, to sow seeds of love and of hope in each single one of those people. Maybe it is that in this last 12 months, you've been a recipient of that and God has touched you and broken your hard fallow ground of your heart and sowed seeds again of hope and of restoration, of healing. And I pray that there's so much more to happen, so much more to go. Just on the way in this morning, Jake just said to me, he's my 13-year-old, and he just said, we had some worship music playing, he said, Dad, when you stop long enough to think about what Jesus has done, He said, it really, there are no words, are there? I said, no, buddy. But that's where we're supposed to do something with it. 
He goes, one of my youth leaders used an illustration just the other week and said, imagine if you're in an elevator going up to the, the gates of heaven and, and there's an elevator going down to hell and you passed one of your school friends and they gave you a look like you knew when you didn't say anything. Have a look around you. Plenty of empty seats. Every empty seat has a name of someone you know on it. It's a colleague, it's a friend, it's a family member that yet does not know Jesus. It's someone at your local sporting club or the shop that you visit every week. There's plenty of room. There's room for all of us. There's room for more. We've just come out of this a season now preaching about real change. We've talked four messages in a row about the real change, identifying that there is an intent execution gap in nearly all of our lives. We talked about loving God with every fiber of our being, heart and soul and strength and mind, everything that we have at our disposal given unto Him, to love Him in this way. They're good ideas, but they're hard to do. And I wanted to remind you again today of that, that kind of gap that we live in and, and stretch us towards the vision that we have for this year of seeing the love of Jesus declared, the love of Christ demonstrated. How are you doing with that? Was it just a good idea that we left behind a few months ago? Or have we been intentional about how that lands in our lives, what we actually do with it? The passage I'm going to be speaking out of today is one of the greatest messages of all time. You know, even atheists know a little bit about it. They've heard something that kind of rings like a true statement about it. It's called the Sermon on the Mountain. We find it in Matthew chapter, well, it sort of starts at five, but preludes in four and goes right through to the end of, of chapter seven. And it's Jesus gathering around his disciples and then whole crowd flocks to be able to listen to these words of Jesus. And I want us to look particularly about how Jesus crafts the end of this message. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter seven and head into verse 24, because, you know, this is in incredible how Jesus finishes this message. I remember when I was at Bible college, they used to teach us that the two most important parts about a message are your beginning and your ending. That's the bit that people most remember. It's the beginning of your message and the end of your message. Now, you've listened to a lot of sermons, so this is going to be vote by hands, okay? You've listened to a lot of messages, whether it's live here or whether it's on podcasts, all sorts of different things. Tell me, which do you think preachers spend more time on, the introduction or the conclusion? Hands up, voting for introduction. Hands up, those voting for conclusion. I think the introductions have it, and there was a few who did not know which way to vote. I can understand that. You know, almost always people put a whole lot more time and effort into the beginning of a message rather than the end. And I'll let you in on a little trade secret, okay? A lot of times preachers, when they get started, they just get wound up. And so like they, they, the plane has taken off. They prepared that part and then they just fly around looking for somewhere to land. They, they're, just, they're just flying around going, where can I land this baby? You know what, they, and then they spend the whole time. It's amazing, you'd be amazed how often preachers do not give adequate thought to how they'll end their message. In fact, I wish I knew where this one was ending. <laughs> but Jesus does the, the, uh, uh, this soaring talk, this uh, most amazing talk almost out of the whole of history. 
but he knows the problem that people are going to have and so he concludes it like this. Matthew chapter 7. He concludes it this way. Verses 24. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew to beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. End of sermon. Game over. You can go home now. Jesus says. It's kind of a brutal ending to a message, isn't it? You wonder why Jesus didn't end with something more positive, trying to draw people to, to action in a slightly different way. But it's because he knows our hearts. He knew that we were going to have problems with doing. It's a whole lot easier to know. It's a whole lot easier to hear than it is to, to do. We're pretty good at that. We, we like to debate stuff. We like to think we know stuff. We like to think we're a little smarter than others. That's why we constantly dig deeper into things, and that's all okay. But you see, as long as it's just a matter of knowing, you're in control. When we just know stuff, that means we're in control. We can just sit back and just know a whole lot of stuff. We can even get a little judgmental once we know a little stuff. But doing that's going to cost something. It's not so much about IQ doing cost time. It's going to cost energy. It's going to cost money. It's going to mean that I, as smart as I am, I'm no longer in control. And there's the problem. But the reality is if we're only hearers and not doers, we're deceiving ourselves. In the book of James, it says this in James 1.22, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, and therefore do not deceive yourselves. This is what it means to be a person who declares and demonstrates the love of God. A people who demonstrate God's kingdom. I pray that we would be a people in every aspect of our lives who live differently, think differently, talk differently. We become these ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus desired us to be. And today I want to remind you that as we go, we go declaring and demonstrating the love of God to a needy world. We don't think that's just a great idea. We're looking every day for how that's going to land. We're looking every time about how we might open our mouths to declare the glory of Jesus. We're looking at every moment how we can demonstrate his love through his supernatural power in at work at us. You know, a lot of people, when they think about the Sermon on the Mount, they think this is a, a list of moral rules and wrongs and do's and don'ts type of thing. Some people can get quite daunted, but primarily that's not what Jesus is talking about as he moves through the Sermon on the Mount. And all the people, the great crowds that gathered, they would have heard talks like this before, but not quite the way Jesus put it. They'd heard talks about the Ten Commandments. They'd heard talks about how this was going to be. Since, since they were little kids, since they were infant, rabbis would be teaching on this and they would gather around to listen, to hear the instruction of God's word. That's not why they came to hear Jesus, though. You see, this message that Jesus gave made everybody stop in their tracks to listen. This is the first great teaching that we find in the, 
the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew is kind of summarizing Jesus' whole message. This is how he does it. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then just a little while on, in, uh, still in chapter 4, in verse 23, it says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news. Now, another way to translate that word good news is the word gospel. And when you think about the gospel and you ask, what's the gospel that Jesus preached? It was the gospel of the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom of heaven is near. In chapter 5, we see the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and his words start in verse 3 with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when Jesus said that, everyone comes running to want to listen. The kingdom of heaven come near. It's now available. This is a different type of message from any other rabbi. This is what people were waiting for. These Jewish people were waiting for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Now, just stop for a moment to just, we've talked about this many times before, but to just reorient ourselves. See, here's the disconnect. For, for many of us, when we think of heaven, we, we think of some in geographical, faraway place beyond the stars, not quite sure where it might be, but far, maybe in outer space, a place you go to when you die. And most people think that that's the, the kind of pleasure palace that, that, that is there for us. But that's not what's going on in the minds of those who are listening to Jesus at this Sermon on the Mount. When they heard the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that's not what, what Jesus meant. Not this heaven far away place. It goes back to the prophets, goes back to Isaiah. We talked about the good news being that God reigns. And the idea was the sphere or the realm or a reality in which everything that God wants to happen, happens. In which everything that pleases God happens. And that's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God. The technical term is the range of God's effective will. Where things are as God wants them to be. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the reality of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. However, when God created human beings, part of what he did and still does is he gives us each our own kingdom. If you think back into the book of Genesis, he says, he says this in Genesis 1.26, let us make human beings in our own image and give them dominion. That's a, a loaded word. That's a kingdom word. Now you have your own little kingdom, Jesus says, where what you say goes to the range of your effective will. I get into my car and the seat is in the right position. The mirrors are directly angled for my height sitting in that car. The radio, when I turn it on, has all the preset stations of the stations I want to listen to. That's why they're there. Listen, when you get into my car, I know where everything is and as it should be. There are no French fries stuck down the cracks and the seat in my car. Why? Because that car is my kingdom. When I arrive at work and I come to my desk, I know exactly that where the phone is and where the to-do list will be and, and where the notes will be that I'm following up on various different things. Why? Because, again, that is my kingdom. 
When I walk into my house at the end of the day and I, I sit down in my comfy armchair with a cold drink waiting beside me and the smell of steaks on the barbecue, I've walked into the wrong house. <laughs> but here's the idea. We all have a kingdom. You have a kingdom. We're made in the image of God and your kingdom is where what you say goes. Part of what it means to be human is we extend our kingdoms, they, they merge, they intersect. As they merge, they form families, neighborhoods, social systems, corporations, countries. You put it all together and the Bible calls that the kingdom of the earth. That's the kingdom of the earth, that's where we live. Question, how's things on the kingdom of earth? Not so well. You read the newspaper yesterday probably. Heartache, betrayal, hurt, abuse, addiction, sin. That's happening everywhere in this kingdom of earth. And we're waiting for someone who can fix it up. Maybe the next election, maybe the next government, maybe the next economic system. Everyone's longing for a different kind of kingdom. And the people of Jesus' day, they were no different. In fact, they're a little more aware than we are. And the people of Israel have been waiting for this new kingdom, God's kingdom to reign. And Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of heaven is near. Life together with God, in God's favor, in God's presence, under his control, our life has now become available down here to ordinary people. And that grabs their attention. A little later, Jesus goes on to explain this kingdom being, bringing process has started and you can be part of it if you want. The divine conspiracy to subvert the kingdom of the earth has become apparent in Jesus and now in and through us. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See the Sermon on the Mount, this is an announcement saying, the kingdom is coming, get ready. And Jesus gives this Sermon on the Mount and a bunch of pictures and illustrations and examples of what it looks like when people start to live under God's reign. What it looks like when we treat each other when God's in control. What it looks like to be a part of this kingdom where he reigns as king. He's giving examples of what kingdom people do with their anger, what they do with their sexuality, what they do with their fruitfulness and truthfulness and all sorts of things. He talks about what the kingdom sounds like and looks like. Love declared, love demonstrated. So we just spent the last four weeks talking about loving God with every fiber of our being, heart, soul, mind, strength, everything. And here's the question. We're going to do a little honest assessment here, okay? You do not have to put up your hand. This is a silent vote in your heart. Here's the question. Do we as a church have a, a knowing problem or do we have a doing problem? Maybe it's not a problem at all. Do we have a knowing challenge or a hearing, a doing challenge? Well, have a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to verse 44. It says, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That's kind of conventional wisdom, right? But I tell you, says Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that's what people in the kingdom do. That's what God does. An enemy is just somebody that's hard to love. And Jesus says, love your enemies. 
How many of you are surprised to find out Jesus' teaching like that? What he's saying in the kingdom now, there's an invitation to a new kind of life. There's a new kingdom. Now it will take wisdom and discernment and the help of the Holy Spirit to apply this. But in kingdom, people are characterized by kingdom love. They love they, not just when it's easy, but they love when it's difficult. They declare his love. They demonstrate his love. These are doers of the word. And then this begins to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Challenging stuff, isn't it? Challenging for those that listen directly to the voice of Jesus that day too. Matthew carefully points to a clear picture of two groups of people here. Listening to the Sermon on the Mount. Is your Bible still open? In chapter 5, have a look. Verses 1 and 2. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. Many people flocking to him, his disciples came to him and began to teach them. He's teaching his disciples, but at the end of the sermon, in in chapter 7, verse 28, he says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. There's the doers, the core. So those are the disciples. That's the core group of people who are following Jesus. They're the ones that have said, yes, I'll follow after you. I'll do as you say. I'm in, boots and all. I'm part of this kingdom that's come near. And then there's the hearers. There's the crowd. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. He taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This was not just saying that Jesus was a clever communicator, that he made people laugh, that he had ways of saying things that dropped like pennies inside their head and and sat there spinning around and had their effect all of the time. That's not what he's talking about here. You see, the rabbis, they would have taught in such a way that they said something like this. Whoever studies Torah and does good work may be likened to the one who lays a foundation of stone and bricks and rising water cannot overturn it. Does that sound familiar? Whoever not only hears Torah but does these works. He's going to be strong, immovable when the water raises up. Does that sound familiar? This is just like his parable at the end, how what we read at the beginning of this message that wraps it all up. But it's so very vastly different. And this is why they were amazed at his teaching, because he did not say, like every other rabbi, listen to what the Torah says, then do it. He says, listen to these words of mine. Jesus becomes the one who we anchor on. He becomes the one who then becomes our firm foundation. So that when we build our life upon not just hearing what he has said to us, but absolutely doing what he has said to us, then we are going to be like a wise people who have built on a firm foundation, not on sand that can be washed away. The crowds would come because these amazing things that he said were full of this I've seen firsthand the devastation of those who build on sand. In 2004, we lived in India. We lived in a, on, a, on a coastal strip. And I traveled hundreds of kilometers after that Boxing Day tsunami and, and saw hundreds of thousands of people displaced because they built on sand to devastating effects. Livelihoods just gone, houses gone, family members gone. You know, we want to be a church that means what we say and say what we mean. 
A church that the world can look at and say they live by the beat of a different drum. A church that not only talks about, but they walk it out. Every once in a while in the crowd that listened to Jesus, someone would stand up and say, I want to come follow. I'm coming to follow. I don't want to just hear what you have to say and be amazed by it. I want to do what you're saying. I want to come and be part of that core. I want to be a disciple of yours. I want to follow after what you're doing. And they decide to put in practice the words of Jesus. They become a a bearer of this new kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, Holy Spirit indwelling us to be these people who the, the rest of the world will look at and say, there's something different about you as we declare and demonstrate this love. A people whose house is built not on the sand, but on the firm rock of Jesus and his foundation. Not just by what he has done, but what he is doing through us. There's a big difference. Now, Jesus knows that his teaching is absolutely true. Yet what makes the foundation a rock is not only the content of his message, but the application of the hearer. And the challenge to us today is we'll be a people who build upon the sand or the rock. You know, in breaking new ground, we want to build on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus. His words declared, his love demonstrated. The difference is not in what we hear. It's not in just what we know. It's in what we will do. That'll make the difference. It's in what we will do. And this is still our challenge for this year. So what come tomorrow? So what? The so what is, how are you going to allow Holy Spirit that lives in you, that's empowered you, the power and presence of the Most High God at work in you, make a difference in what you say and what you do tomorrow? Are you going to be a hearer in the crowd that leaves here today knowing something a little bit more about the kingdom of God and it's a good idea to to have love declared and love demonstrated? Or are you going to be someone who finds in every simple task of the everyday life that we lead how Jesus wants to interrupt that with the life-giving power of his Holy Spirit in and through you to make a difference, to declare his love, to demonstrate his love? Who's in your kingdom's influence that needs to hear the loving words of Jesus? Who needs to experience his love through you? It's challenging to close the gap between intention and execution. I want to remind us just how what a wonderful year we've had, but what a wonderful year it's still going to be. If we stick to being doers of the word, not just hearers, love must be declared and demonstrated. And it's then we'll be building on a firm foundation, a solid rock. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for what it is that you've done through Jesus. Thank you that the kingdom of heaven is coming to this kingdom of earth. God, we hunger for that, we thirst for that, we we long for that. We know so much of the world is looking for something different, a different type of kingdom. 
Now, Father, as we remind ourselves to be a people that declare and demonstrate your love, your kingdom, not just hearers, but doers, we're reminded. And God, we are so grateful that, Jesus, you did what none of us could do. Jesus, it was you who bridged the gap that none of us could bridge. That when you went to the cross, that you gave your life to pay the debt of our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could enter into this kingdom with you as our king. You rose to new life that we would also have a new life in the resurrection power to live differently as a kingdom people, not just hearers, but doers. Holy Spirit, fill us again to be a people who declare and demonstrate your love to the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.